The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. I turned a certain age today, and um, one of the gifts that I actually got for myself was a, is a t-shirt that says, it's weird being the same age as old people. <laughs> Let that sink in a little bit. Um, your tentative laughter um, is a really good setup for what I'm about to ask next. Is it appropriate to laugh after the 12 days that we've had uh, in our city and, uh, frankly, the 12 days that we have spent in this sanctuary with somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 gatherings to grieve one of the most atrocious, violent things that has ever happened in our city? Is it appropriate to combine laughter and horror? Uh, Frederick Beekner, who's a brilliant Christian writer, wrote these words. Here is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Beautiful and terrible things. And oftentimes, as we've seen in the last 12 days, the beautiful shows up in the terrible when we least expect it to show up there. You know, Pastor Filson just a few minutes ago asked the question, why do we call Good Friday good? How, how could you use the word good to describe the most atrocious, violent, unjust, vindictive act in the history of the world against the one and only truly and purely innocent person who has ever lived, the God-man Jesus Christ? How could you call that Good, the mocking of the Son of God, the stripping of the Son of God to humiliate him, the violence that was perpetrated against him to ultimately seek to destroy him. That's the terrible stuff. The terrible stuff is what Jesus takes in order for Good Friday to happen. But what about the beautiful stuff? Here is the world, beautiful and terrible things will happen. The terrible stuff is the stuff that he has to, has to take, but the good stuff, the beautiful stuff, is the stuff that he has to give. In that same moment, from that same position on the cross, he gives all kinds of things. Here's how he shows up on the cross with all of those things happening to him. He shows up with forgiveness. We just heard it read. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, Jesus between them. It's referring to the two thieves between whom Jesus was crucified. They were both mocking him from their adjacent positions next to him, until one of them came to his senses. This is very likely an unbaptized man. In his dying hour, 
turns to the King of Kings and the Lord of Glory and says, in your glory, in your kingdom, could you possibly remember someone like me? And Jesus says to him on the spot, today I assure you, you will be with me in paradise. He gives forgiveness from that place. He gives purpose. He looks down from the cross at John, who's the one who wrote these words. It's biographical of Jesus, but it's also autobiographical. Where John, who knows himself as the beloved disciple, essentially hears a word from Jesus to comfort him and to remind him that he still has a purpose. It's as if Jesus is saying from the cross, John, this is not the end of your ministry. My departure is the continuation of your ministry. And it turns out that the disciple John ends up being the only one of the 12 disciples who is spared from martyrdom. Why is that? My theory is that Jesus deputized the disciple John to take care of his mother. That's at least part of it. We also needed the Gospel of John in the book of Revelation and 1st and 2nd and 3rd John as well. He deputized him as a scribe. But he spares him. Behold, your mother now. She is your mother. And so there's purpose that Jesus gives from that terrible place, a beautiful thing from a terrible place. And then the third beautiful thing that he gives in addition to the forgiveness and the purpose is the care that he gives to his mother. It's as if he's saying from the cross, Mother, I'm not leaving you. I'm not forsaking you. I will never do that. But my care for you from this point forward is going to be different. It's going to come through the body of Christ. It's going to come through my people, especially this one whom I call beloved. But mother, understand that his care, his hands, his heart are my care and my hands and my heart. I'm not forsaking you. I'm not leaving you. Again, Frederick Buechner says, here's the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. And like I said, tucked inside the terrible things, we often find some of the most beautiful things to be discovered, held onto, savored, shared, One of the things that Good Friday welcomes us into is what we've already been sitting in for a dozen days since that horrible Monday. The beauty of Christian grief. The beauty even of Christian burial. Every funeral, especially when it's a Christian uh, funeral, 
invites the full range of human emotion. There's, there's the sadness, there's the grief, there's the, the anger, all the disorientation. But even as we had the privilege here at Christ Prez of hosting three of the victims, three of the six victims' funerals, I couldn't help but notice the laughter sometimes roaring laughter that happened in this sanctuary in the middle of tragic burial. And, and somehow it, it felt strangely right and strangely appropriate and strangely defiant of all the forces of evil and darkness, all those temporary forces. The first funeral of our three funerals here at Christ Prez was of one of the teachers. And the pastor had a very close relationship for a long time with, with her husband. And from where I'm standing right here, he, he looked at the husband who was sitting close to where Pastor Filson is right now, and he looked out to everybody and he said, Cindy walked so closely to Jesus Christ. But let's just be honest. If you had to wake up every morning to this guy, you would be clinging to Jesus as tightly as you could. And the whole room roared in laughter. Not because it was so inappropriate, but because it was so appropriate. It's as if a funeral is the best place to mock death and to mock the one who thinks he holds the power of death. And to defy him. The final funeral that we had the privilege of hosting, the husband got up and paid homage to all six of the victims. Three grown-ups, three adults, who ran into the danger in order to save the lives of, of others. And then three children. And three things really struck out, uh, stuck out to me as I sat there and listened to this remarkable, otherworldly eulogy. It was so full of Christ. So full of the beautiful, terrible realities that we come here tonight to talk about on Good Friday. Number one, no platitudes. The first thing he said is, let's just be honest, we don't want to be here. The second thing, he talked about his wife's tremendous courage and how she broke her own protocol by running into the danger to save lives at the cost of her own, in many ways mirroring what Christ did on Good Friday for the sins of the world. And then the third thing, and this was the most remarkable thing I've ever seen or heard in any funeral eulogy, and I've been to a lot of funerals. He remembered a seventh family in his eulogy. The family of the person who pulled the triggers to take his wife's life. And he said this about his wife, Catherine Kuntz. Catherine would be embarrassed if our admiration of her 
distracted us from other wounded households. She was a champion for others and among the first to recognize when someone is isolated and lacking support, burdened by shame. Therefore, honoring Catherine compels us to remember a seventh family, equally wounded in the loss of someone dear to them. We count on the Lord and our community to support them generously, extravagantly, and to offer them the hope that sustains. We are trusting in the strong and loving embrace of a strong and loving God to take each of the seven that died and heal their wounds and their souls. How on earth, how on earth can a man get up and say words like that? Unless the eyes of his heart had somehow along the way gotten to the point where the eyes of his heart were able to see the same thing that the very eyes of the thief and the mother and the beloved disciples witnessed up close. As they stripped, as they mocked, as they punctured the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Son of God cries, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Have mercy on them because they are as confused as they are evil. And and in some way, their evil is born out of the confusion that has been injected into them and has poisoned their souls because of the author of confusion and the, the accuser of the brethren. And the one who loves to steal and to kill and destroy, Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they do. Far from being our example, this was said the other day as well by Pastor Carter Crenshaw at one of the funerals. Far from being our example, Jesus came to be our Savior our rescue, our redemption. And Jesus came also through that to be our power, to give us the freedom to live in courage, the freedom to dispense publicly extravagant, unexpected mercy. And also to somehow see the beauty in the terrible, which is why we're going to stand now and we're going to sing about the wondrous cross, the wonderful death of Christ, a terrible, beautiful thing. Let's stand and sing.